Thank you for joining us for the study of God's Word today. Grab a Bible and listen carefully as God will be speaking to us through His Word today. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Thank you, Travis and Drew. That was lovely. I was hoping I would get to hear that again. Uh, They sang it last night, performed it, and thank God they did it again today. It's awesome. I hope you find your way to Psalm 71. It was read as the introductory psalm for our worship today. And before I read and study with you from the 71st Psalm, which does not have a human's name attributed to it, that in no way means it's not God's word. It may more bona fide, if you will. So many of the Psalms were written by David, the great poet warrior and musician himself. But this one does not bear anybody's name. It has the impress of the Holy Spirit on it, as we saw when we read it. But I'd like to read one verse from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 1, 11. And you might want to jot that down, look at it at your leisure. May the Lord, the God of your fathers, increase you a thousandfold more than you are and bless you just as he has promised you. In 1945, being the month of April to be exact, a man by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer was executed by the Third Reich. He was one of five men who went to the gallows just two months before the end of that war. He and they were accused of treason, conspiring to overthrow the rule of Adolf Hitler. The four companions of his who were executed alongside of Bonhoeffer that day were all either admirals or generals in the army of the Third Reich. Bonhoeffer was a warrior of another kind. He was close in age to these men, 39 years of age. He was a spiritual warrior. He was a man who, at the age of 21, did not simply finish his basic theological education, but he completed the dissertation, which became a worldwide book read by believers and to this day many decades later, still is impressing people and challenging people. The title of the book that came from that dissertation in German, Nachfolger, which simply means following after. The English translation's title is The Cost of Discipleship. This man was a brilliant man intellectually, but even more so spiritually as he encountered the living God in the person of Jesus Christ and served him. He had two opportunities to escape Germany, but he refused. One time he actually came to New York City as he served on the faculty of Union Theological Seminary. And as he was encouraged to remain, he kept sensing the Lord telling him, you have to go back to your people. And with great resolve and courage, He left the safety of the United States, a cushy job, a very prestigious position, and went back. 
and of course, you know how his life ended. The doctor who oversaw the execution, not executing it, but just observing, said he had seen many men executed in that prison. He had never seen one more devout and calm than Bonhoeffer. Among the things which Bonhoeffer wrote, which still make an impression, one sentence he said, the righteous person lives for the next generation. The psalmist in Psalm 71 talks about future generations. We won't bother to read the entire psalm again. I will be alluding to different parts of it and hope you follow along carefully in your Bible. But we're looking at verses 17 and 18. Listen to what the psalmist says. Oh God, you have taught me from my youth and I still declare your wondrous deeds. And even when I am old and gray, oh God, do not forsake me until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to all who are to come. I think you see how this unnamed author had a heart and a vision for impacting future generations. He was, in fact, a righteous man, just as Bonhoeffer himself and so many people who have followed Christ as these men knew God and the person of Jesus Christ. Let's consider why or what it takes to be a person to live for future generations. The first thing I'm going to say is we have to have the proper focus. As I scanned this 71st Psalm, I was curious to determine how many times the author speaks of God either directly calling his name or using a pronoun associated with his name. Over 40 times in 24 verses. You might say this man was obsessed with God. Not in an unhealthy way, but in the most healthy of ways, he loved God. He knew who buttered his bread. He knew the one who gave him what he needed to make a difference. And he dared not to think about going into the future and impacting future generations on his own. He knew he had to put his confidence in the Lord. And he had been doing that, by the way, for quite some time. Look at verse 5. For you are my hope, O Lord God. You are my confidence from my youth. This man had known the Lord virtually all his life. There might not have been a time that he could remember. His earliest thoughts probably included some knowledge of God. I could not help when I thought about this to think of another figure in Scripture. We know him as Timothy. Remember Timothy? Timothy was born to a Jewish mother and a Jewish grandmother, but his father was a Gentile. We know very little about his father. We know a lot about his grandmother and his mother because Paul speaks of them in his second letter to this son in the faith of his, Timothy. And he says, I have become aware and am encouraged by your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice. Women never overestimate or underestimate the value of your influence on your child. 
from infancy. Paul writes in the third chapter of 2 Timothy, this man, Timothy, was taught the Scripture. He knew God from early years. And like this man, he had been sustained by God because he put his trust in the Lord. He put his confidence in the Lord. Let me back up just a moment and mention the book of Proverbs 29-25. The Bible says, The fear of man brings a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord shall be exalted. This man who wrote this psalm trusted in the Lord from childhood. And when he writes this, we know he's not an old man yet. He is in what we might call middle age. Look again at verses 17 and 18. Oh God, you have taught me from my youth and I still declare your wondrous deeds. And even when I'm old and gray, oh God, do not forsake me until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to all who are to come. So he wasn't old. He was anticipating growing old. There's a sense in which he probably hoped to grow old. And the reason he wanted to live longer was so he could further impact future generations. He was a righteous person. Now, is this message one that's only aimed at a very small percentage of the people in this room? I don't think so. If you know Jesus Christ, you have the same equipment, and we'll talk about that a little later, the same things which are necessary for you to have an impact on future generations. And I'm asking the Lord, I've asked the Lord already, that this teaching will touch many hearts and minds and not just touch the mind and the heart, but touch the will of people. And you will get a vision of how God can use you in your sphere of influence. And we all have spheres of influence, that's for sure. We begin, however, and if we don't begin here, we will never achieve such a goal focusing on the Lord. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Our obsession, our focus is to be Jesus Christ. We fix our eyes on Him. And this was not a casual glance at Him, not an occasional glance at Him, but that we would want Christ to be the center of our lives. How does this happen? Well, it happens when we read God's Word. We are taught by Him. He says, Oh God, you have taught me from my youth. Would you like to have God as your teacher? I would. And by God's grace, I have had Him as my teacher quite a while in my life. And you can too because he is not a respecter of persons. Anybody who wants to be taught by God will be taught by God. The whole biblical idea of God is clear to us. God is represented in Scripture as a father. 
He's represented in Scripture as a son, and he's represented in the Scripture as a spirit, precisely a Holy Spirit. That is confusing to many people, and understandably so. But what we know about God, he is in three persons. The thing about each one of those persons is that each one has the same nature. Each one, for instance, is love. God the Father is love. God the Son is love. God the Holy Spirit is love. Each one is holy. The Father is holy. The Son is holy. The Spirit is holy. The result is, whatever situation you might find the Father in that was identical to a situation in which you find Jesus in and also the Spirit in, they're all going to behave in the very same manner. They all three have the same power. They're the same essence in three personalities. Let's think about how God teaches us. We have to hear from Him, don't we? We have to listen to Him. God the Father is described in the book of Isaiah 50 as waking a servant of His up morning by morning. And he awakens that servant to listen like a disciple, uh, one who follows him, follows God the Father. And we who know Jesus, we follow God the Father. And he teaches us. He teaches us through his word. All scripture, the Bible says, is God-breathed. And it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the person of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We can listen to God regularly. How is it possible? We have the Word of God. I guarantee you, if you come before God and your focus is aimed in His direction, He will speak to you if you open the book. You might say, I don't understand this book. Well, here's a good prayer. If you will come before the Lord, Psalm 119, verse 18. This is one of many places we could go. You can remember it easily. Psalm 119, 18. says, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things in your law. I pray that regularly when I come to read my Bible, not to get a sermon, but to be in fellowship with the Lord, to get my bearings straight to begin the day, to fix my eyes on the Lord, to hear from Him. And lo and behold, He speaks. He does not speak to me in an audible voice. There may have been one or two times in all my years of following Jesus that He might have. I can say for sure, but one time in particular, I believe I heard His audible voice. I won't go into that. But if he never had, it would not put me at a deficit, nor you. Never heard the voice aloud because the Bible is the Word of God. And God will speak to you if you come in humility and say, please teach me. He is one teacher who will never turn you away. There are some people who pursue a certain career path and part of their anticipation of how they're going to reach their goal so that they can practice their craft or whatever talent they have in that field. 
they have in mind, they want to be mentored by a certain person because that person is at the top of the food chain in terms of those who have that skill. Well, sometimes people get turned down and probably more people get turned down than are accepted to be mentored by a trainer of some particular field of endeavor. But God who is the creator of the ends of the earth. We read about that. The everlasting God, he will never turn you away if you come to him hungry to hear from him. God the Father, God the Son. Remember when Jesus went to the Mount of Transfiguration with his closest apostles, Peter, James, and John, and God spoke, and it scared the daylights out of them, undoubtedly. It felt, felt like thunder. They thought the earth was trembling underneath them. It probably was. And he simply said, this is my beloved son, speaking of Jesus. My chosen one, listen to him. Can you hear Christ speaking to you? Why, sure. You can hear the Father speaking in his word. And when you look at the Gospels in particular, we have much from the mouth of Jesus. And we can hear from Him. And we don't have to wait to watch it fade away because it's in print for us. And we can hear from Him. And He teaches us. In Luke 6.40, the Bible says this, a student is not above his teacher. For when Everyone is fullest, fully trained by his or her teacher. That person will be like that teacher. We will be like Christ to the degree that we spend time listening to him. When we focus on him and not on ourselves, the normal attitude that we come into this world with is we're self-centered, not God-centered. We're not Christ-centered. That's something which happens when we are born from above. We're renewed. We're given life. We become new people in Christ. And what we need to do, we need to be men and women who come humbly before God, the Father, as well as God the Son. And He will teach us. Going back to the possibility that you're here today, and you may have come against your will. You may have come because someone sort of pushed you to come. And you're just tolerating this, and I can see why you would, this part of it especially. Not all that's happened earlier, but this part of it. But if you are really interested in knowing God and hearing from Him, listen to what the Bible says. Speaking about people who don't know Him yet. It says, a natural person does not understand the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to that person. He or she cannot understand them because they are spiritually learned. The Holy Spirit, who is God, He reveals these things to you. And before He reveals these things that you want to learn about God to you, first of all, He has to give you new life. You have to come in humility and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need you. Please open my eyes. I want in on this life that can last forever, not just for a span of time, 
not to have to worry about when, when I will die. We are going to die. That's obvious. You don't have to read the Bible to figure that out. Was George Bernard Shaw said, the great British playwright, the statistics on death are quite impressive. One out of one dies. He was right. Death is batting a thousand, isn't it? And what we need to do is, if we find ourselves hungering for something more, all we have to do is remember what Jesus says. If anyone is hungry or thirsty, let that person come to me and drink. And out of that person's innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. And that's a reference to the life of Christ in us, coming out of us, indwelling us, and overflowing into the lives of other people, future generations. So the good news is that if we focus on God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the outcome of that is that we will be equipped for helping others in our generation and in generations to come, even beyond our lives. Here's the second thing that's really important to understand on how our lives can be righteous in the sense of impacting future generations. Such people are faithful in their walk with Christ. This passage of Scripture indicates in this particular individual's life. He had followed the Lord when he was a boy. He was following the Lord in his mid-years, and he wants to follow the Lord into old age. One of the things that's bothersome to us who are older is, you notice the emphasis there, emphasis on them. But one of the things about us is we become more conscious of the nearness of the end of our lives. When we know Christ, we don't have to worry about that because we know where we're going. But the thing that has become paramount in my thinking in this regard, and sometimes I talk to older people, it's just something we don't talk about normally. But I want whatever's left to count. And many of you, most of you are much younger than I, thank God, you don't have to wait till you're my age to get started. But if you're my age and you've never started, it's not too late. That's the point I'm trying to make. Because the Lord wants our fellowship and when we are faithful in our walk with Christ, the result is that God speaks to us and equips us. We just have to have an ear to hear. Remember what Jesus says more than one time in the book of Revelation, in the first couple of chapters, he says, he who has an ear to hear, hear what the Spirit of Christ is saying. He speaks to us. Now, I love what another German theologian, I mentioned Bonhoeffer, this man lived through World War II. His name was Helmut Tielecke. Dr. Tielecke was a brilliant theologian in his own right and an outstanding preacher. And he was fascinated with a British preacher who lived in the century before him, his name, Charles Spurgeon. Some say the greatest English-speaking preacher in the history of the church. That remains to be seen. But he described Spurgeon in this way. Listen carefully. He said, Mr. Spurgeon was a charismatic listener. What did he mean? Do you have any idea what he might mean? 
he meant that the Holy Spirit spoke to him and he had ears to hear what the Spirit was saying to him. Look, if you know Jesus Christ, listen carefully, you have the potential to have charismatic ears because the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you. And if you remain a man or a woman who is faithful to the Lord throughout your life, or you decide today, I'm going to start that walk with the Lord, and I, by His grace, I want to live in a faithful state the rest of my life. The good news is, He's going to speak to you. Such people are faithful because they depend not on their own power, but on God's power. We read from Isaiah 40, where the scripture says about God, have you not heard? Do you not know? He is the creator of all the earth. And then the writer goes on to say about this God. He says, he gives strength to the weary. Anybody here weary? Anybody here tired? Are you worn out? I'm not just talking about physically. I'm talking about emotionally, spiritually. The good news for all of us is this, that God specializes in taking weak, worn out people and turning them into people who impact their generation for the glory of God and future generations into eternity. We need to bear this in mind. These people also remain faithful because, as I've already mentioned, they keep their eyes on the Lord. This is something I skipped over in my thinking, but I want to mention it. We've talked about part of that, but here's another part that's overlooked often, just like I almost overlooked it. In the book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul in the third chapter, he talks about how he had lived for religion. And he'd been the most religious man in all of Judaism. And that was verifiable, by the way. But he said all of that was of no value because it was self-centered. Do you know you can be religious and live out of a self-centered life? Remember, it's Christ-centered. And then this is what he says when he's an old man. He was in the last few years of his life. He was in his last decade. He was blind partially. He was in prison when he said this. This is what he said. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. And then he goes on to say, I have not a, attained full maturity. What a transparent man Paul was. I haven't achieved that. But I'm not going to get hung up on what I haven't achieved he said, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He used an athletic metaphor to say stretching on. I can in my mind's eye see an athlete running or sprinter neck and neck, just stretching and the veins bulging on his or her neck wanting to be the first one to cross the line to get the prize. We're not in competition with each other, but we are in a race that matters more than any sprint at any Olympic would ever mean in the long run. 
and what the Lord wants us to do. A lot of you got some baggage in the past. Some of you accumulated some since we met last week. The Bible says the righteous falls seven times, but the Bible doesn't stop there and the righteous person gets up again. How do you get up once you've fallen? How do you get, how can you look yourself in the mirror when you call yourself a Christian and you've fallen? Well, you look in the mirror of the Word of God and you see what the Word of God says. The God is of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob reflected in the person of Jesus Christ. He's not one who just sort of winks at sin. Sin put Jesus on the cross. But he does not hold our sin against us. If you are in Christ, all your sin has been forgiven, but he still wants us to confess our sin when we know we've sinned and recognize our deviation from depending upon him and say, Lord, please help me up. Do you know the Lord's quick to help us up? I can't tell you how many times I don't keep track of them that I fall down between Sundays. I fall down every day in some way, it seems. It's very frustrating if I didn't know the gospel. If I didn't know that the Lord uses only one kind of person, that's a person who's a sinner. Is there anybody here who's never sinned? I don't think so. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've been redeemed if we know Jesus. We're not going to be punished for that sin. He took the full weight of that on the cross. But we still do sin occasionally. We don't like it when we sin. It bothers us. We enjoy it while we're sinning many times. But when, once it's over, if you know Christ, the Holy Spirit gives you a hard time till you yield to Him again. But the person who is faithful, who impacts future generations, does not live in the past. Are you living in the past? Get over it. The Lord doesn't even know you got any baggage if you confess it and put it behind you. So encouraging. These people are people who focus on Jesus, not on themselves or their circumstances. These people are people who are faithful to the Lord and His mission for them. And His mission is that we join Him in impacting our generation and the generations to come. Our country is in turmoil. We have so much difficulty, do we not? Let me tell you, we who know Christ have the power in dependence upon the Lord to accomplish the renovation of this country. It's not by politics, I'm sorry. Many of you are hung up on politics. I love politics, but you know, I've been following politics seriously since I was a boy. and. It ain't worked. <laughs> we need Christians who are called to be politicians. I'm not talking about that. But we are kidding ourselves if we think any group of people, most of whom are lost people, are going to be able to lead this country where it needs to go. But a movement of God's Spirit in people like you and me who don't care for any notoriety, we are willing to count the cost to follow Christ 
and be men who make a difference, women who make a difference, not just for our generation, but for generations to come. We want to be such people, do we not? I love my country, but I love the kingdom of God more. And we are wanting to spread the kingdom of God. God's called us to spread it, and he's empowered us to. He gives us the strength, as we've seen. These people who impact the future generations, the righteous people that Bonhoeffer talked about, they are finishers. This man says, do not forsake me until, I love that word, I declare your strength to this generation. I think we need to become until Christians. Are you following me? That we're not satisfied with just seeing the Lord work a little bit. We can't force the hand of God. Don't mishear what I'm saying. But we can get in a position of submission to the Lord and we can take God at His word claim His promises, He will fill us with Himself and He will use us. I'm not talking about building a big monolithic church known as Coronado Baptist Church. Look, we are people who are part of the body of Christ. If we're in it, we're in it. If we're in this part of it, we're part of it. But we're not interested in building a name for ourselves. Who are we promoting? Jesus Christ. He's the only one who can do what the world needs to change it. And we look forward to that. Jesus may come back soon. Someone was talking to me today between the services. Do you think Jesus might be coming soon? I said, I know he's coming. I feel him. I sense he's coming. Many of you do too. We have no control over that. He's coming when he's already been assigned to come by the Father. But what we do know is we can get people ready for his coming. The last thing that we're going to look at about people who live for other generations is they are people who see future generations. They're futurists. That's usually a little weird, people who are futurists, sort of. Sci-fi, I like sci-fi, I don't know about you. But the idea is they are not only focused on the Lord, but they are far-sighted. They see the way the Lord sees. The Lord makes promises. Jesus said, I'm coming again. How long has that been, by the way, since he said that? Almost 2,000 years, hasn't it? Is he really coming? Well, how many years was his first coming predicted before he came? Do you know? Over about 2,000 years, really longer. In the Garden of Eden, it was predicted. Thousands of years. And people mocked. People made fun of Noah when he built the ark and all those things. People make fun of us, but let them make fun of us. We're not going to tell them, I told you so, if they are not ready. But what we are going to do, we're going to rejoice in the people he uses us to impact, to know Jesus Christ and teach them to do the same thing. He says in this passage, Oh Lord, do not forsake me until I tell not only this to this generation, but to all the generations who are to come. What in the world was he thinking about? Did he think he was going to live indefinitely? No, he didn't. So the question would be, how does this work? In 2 Timothy 2.2, this is what the Bible says. Paul speaks to Timothy and he says, 
You then, my son, be strong in the power that is in Christ Jesus and the things which you've heard from me entrust to faithful men who will also be able to teach others. Paul, Timothy, two generations, faithful men, three generations, others, four generations. We who know Christ, we should ask the Lord, and we're well within the boundaries of what God's will is. Lord, would you please use me? You know my limitations, Lord. You know I'm afraid to talk to people about Jesus. You know I don't think I know enough to talk to people about Jesus. But Lord, please use me that I'll have offspring to the fourth generation. Look, if we would embrace that, if 10% of us would embrace it and seek the Lord, and it's possible, it's within reach to all. We shouldn't limit ourselves, but we should listen to the Lord. And we should ask God, show us how, Lord. Help me to be the kind of disciple of Christ, Lord, that you would use to help others come to be not just casually committed believers, but people who really understand the joy of the Lord. Many people are satisfied for a part-time Lord. Pull him off the shelf when a crisis comes. Or pull him off the shelf at Christmas. Or pull him off the shelf at Easter. They think he will cramp their style if they do what this man did, focus on God more than himself. But listen to what the Bible says, and it's verifiable. I know this from personal experience. The Bible says, in your presence there is fullness of joy, and in your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. What that would imply is, if you're not in his presence, you may have some fun, but as a friend of mine who was an officer in the Marines as a pilot, was indicted and convicted of committing adultery and he went to Fort Leavenworth. He spent years in prison, lost his commission. He had the world by the tail. He ended up there. And he said he learned many things as a prisoner. But one thing that really stood out to him is he was told this the first day he got there by the other inmates, the first three letters of funeral spell fun. Life is so-called fun apart from Christ, but it ends up in a bad place. But if we trust the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding, He enters us into His presence, and in His presence there is fullness of joy. We need to be people who finish what we start. We need people who are far-sighted in this matter of impacting future generations. William Barclay, the commentator, writes this in this regard, every Christian must see himself as the link to the next generation. I like that. In 1988 in Seoul, Korea, the 4x100 men's relay, it was generally agreed by all the pundits that the Americans would win hands down. Carl Lewis was on that team, by the way. And Lewis himself said, after the race was run and lost, I'll tell you how it was lost, he said, we had the most talented four male runners in the sprint in the history of mankind. 
but we lost. And we lost because there was a mess up on the handoff between the third leg and the fourth leg, and they were disqualified. They were a shoe-in, but they didn't make the handoff properly. I don't want to be that kind of person. I don't think you do either. We don't want to be the person who drops the baton and doesn't get back up and get in the race. Sometimes we do do things like that, but we know we want to make this difference. We have to be personally involved in other people's life. Now, please listen. John the Apostle is adorably known as the disciple whom Christ loved, and he is the disciple of love. And he writes in his second epistle, little short letter, 13 verses. He writes as he closes, he says, I have many things more to write to you, but I'm not going to do it with pen and paper. I'm going to come, I'm going to see you face to face so that I can tell you. We, if we want to enlist into the service of the Lord in this regard, that being the regard of impacting generations that we will never see, ours, the next, and generations we'll never see until we get to heaven, then we're going to be involved personally. We're all drawn to a crowd. Most of us are. We like to be with a larger group of people rather than a tiny, tiny group. But the best work we will ever do for the Lord is one-to-one -one. looking a person in the eye, loving that person, giving attention to that person. And God will use those kind of people to be the kind of people who change the world because they live not for themselves, but for the Lord and for helping other people come to know the Lord. Another wise man by the name of E. Stanley Jones, he was a missionary for many years. He said, the wise man plants a tree in whose shade he himself will never sit. Get the picture? He lives for future generations. Hezekiah was a great king of Judah. He brought spiritual renewal. God used him. But at the end of his life, this is a cautionary tale for us. Just because God's used us before doesn't mean he will all the way to the end. We have to keep our eyes on the Lord, right? We're going to get the prize. Well, he almost died. He begged God to heal him. God healed him. Then he received visitors from Babylon, and these visitors were bringing gifts to celebrate his recovery. And really, they weren't interested in celebrating him. They were spies, really, to check out Jerusalem because the emperor of Babylon was sizing Jerusalem up as a conquerable city. And he showed them everything that he had accomplished and told them about his recovery, but he never once, I'm talking about the king now, who was a godly guy, he never gave credit to the Lord for any of that. Isaiah came to him after that and he said, because you did not center on Christ, all of your household will go into exile to Babylon and even some of your sons will serve in the court, probably as eunuchs in the court, emasculated and serve 
the king and the royalty of the Babylonian court. And this is what the Bible says in Isaiah 39, the last verse. Hezekiah said to the prophet Isaiah, what you say is good. And then it says, he thought, listen to what he thought. The scripture says, he thought, at least there will be peace in my time. I don't want to be that kind of person, do you? To be selfish and not think about the next generation, your children. We need to impact our children. In Deuteronomy 1.11, we read it, and it talks about how God is going to bless the people of Israel who are getting ready to go in the promised land if they claim the promise of God a thousand times more. Make them a thousand times more. Listen to what a man named Hal Luckock wrote a hundred years ago almost. He says, life's greatest blunder is to live it one time when you can live it a thousand times. He's not talking about reincarnation. He's talking about impacting people in future generations by being the kind of man the psalmist of 71 was. Let's pray. Do you know Christ? Do you know that you have eternal life? The invitation is clear in Scripture. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be made a new person. You will be forgiven of your sins and you will be given life eternal which begins now and extends forever. Remember, we have to acknowledge Jesus as Lord. If you want to do that, you sense God speaking to you today, you can say that prayer to the Lord. It's not words that matter, it's what's in your heart. Do you sense the need to put Christ first so that your life will honor the Lord and help other people? Just take a moment if that's your heart's desire. And if you came here today already knowing the Lord, but you've wandered away from Him, today is a day for renewal for you. Would you say to the Lord, Lord, I'm sorry that I've gotten sidetracked by the world's concerns, and I, I commit this to you, Lord. I, I confess it to you. Please take over my heart, Lord, again. And then lastly, all of us, if you want to be part of the team that God is assembling and wants to minister to future generations, just say, Lord, I don't know how I can do it. I don't know how, Lord, but I have a sense I want to. Just tell the Lord that. And He never puts an urge in your heart that He will not give you capacity to fulfill. And we as a pastoral staff will help you with that and other decisions you may have made today. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless.